صفا Talents. Hello, dear listeners. This is Katya from Safa Talents. In March, I visited Israel to find out more about the diversity of the Israeli society and its people. I'm very happy and grateful to introduce this new podcast series as a result of my various talks with great people. One of them is Hannah Benkowski, the program director of the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations. I met Hannah in her office at the Rossing Center for Education and Dialogue in Jerusalem. Hannah is an expert of Jewish-Christian relations in the Israeli context. Her knowledge and experience with interfaith activities is overwhelmingly rich and profound. I myself learned so much in our talk that I decided to split the interview into two separate episodes. In the second episode, Hannah talks about the generational divide and the reasons behind the more negative opinions of younger people about others. Also, Hannah demystifies the ideas of a silent majority supporting peace. Instead, She explains the huge challenges of learning to accept each other fully. Hannah tells her own personal story and how she got into the topic of interfaith dialogue. For her, it is clear that if she wants to stay in the Holy Land, she has to be involved fighting for a better future, her son's future. Ab Shalom. Paul, how long have you been doing this work now? I'm working for the Rossing Center for... 17 years already. Wow. Yeah. I'm just asking this because if you look at the situation now, people are saying more or less, well, we are going backwards. It's getting worse. The and political, con the the political the conflict, situation, the conflict. The, yeah, the conflict. But there has been done so much work, the grassroots by your institution and others. others. So yeah. why doesn't does get it, better? Yeah, yeah. Why doesn't it bear fruit? Or where does it bear fruit? Where do you see? So I think there is there is a fruit. I think there are a lot of problems in the society in general, and I think the political situation, the conflict is getting worse. But I think it could be even worse without the work that is being done. There's also different generation. The generation that established this state, the generation that with the Oslo Agreement is not the same generation as today. We did a survey from 2009. Actually, the younger people are the more negative opinion they have about, uh, about Christian and Christianity. And actually, there's a latest survey that was done among youth about Arabs. And you could also see that the younger people have more negative opinion about others. And I think it's connected to the fact that the society becomes more... Torn. torn and extremism in general and with all the problems that are being done it feels like you go two steps forward but there's always at least one step back so I do think that, that a lot of work is being done I think there's more interest and curiosity and opening toward the others but every generation is more ignorant is more closed in its own bubble and But I think one that this would more think if there is a bigger distance to the Shoah and to the wars that the coming generations would have more empathy towards the others. As the conflict continues, it's kind of in, 
inner incitement to, to justify your place in the conflict. Mm. You justify it by rejecting the others. Mm. And I mean, that's a global it's phenomenon. A, it's, it's not a secular only issue. No, it's, absolutely. It's, it's no, no, absolutely. I mean, look yeah. around the world. So, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. see that Nothing people are less racist. I mean, there are laws against racism. Yeah. But it doesn't mean the people are less yeah, racist. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. just restrain them better. Mm. And uh, the conflict continues as more desperate people are mm. and less hopeful people are. I mean, if like 20 years ago, before the Second Intifada, You had more Palestinians working with Jews, Jews going to the West Bank. Uh, you had more interaction, more people knew the language. Now you talk with the young generation. They've never talked to an Is Palestinian. I'm a Palestinian who've never talked to an Israeli ever in their life. So their experience is even worse because what do they know about Israelis? It's only that, you know. Oh. So it's more segregated. There's less personal familiarities with the other. And therefore, stereotypes and prejudice mm. and hatred is growing. So, yes, there are many organizations working with that. And we do see the fruit. And, and as I said, what we're trying to do is to change attitudes toward Christians and awareness toward the local Christians. And I think I do see results. I see with my students, the way they speak, the terminology they use, what concerns them, how, how they react to different things that happen around I see that there is a difference, there is a difference, but at the same time, the more desperate people who are tired of the conflict in both sides and they cannot develop any sympathy to the other because nothing is more moving toward that direction of sympathy or empathy with someone on the other side. And it's, it's the same like everywhere that um, you feel the extremists dominate the place. But that's not the case. It's just that the extremists are on the media. Right. So you think it's all extreme. In Austria, we have the same, you know, yeah. because they are loud. They are right. fighting for their rights. So you don't hear the people who don't speak up, who have a very balanced view on things and want just peace and a good life right. for themselves and also for the others. There's more exposure to different things through the social media, actually. And there's more possibility to get information from other sources than the official media. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But we have a tendency to put all the responsibility on the extremists. I mean, they're responsible for inf inf the incitement and inflaming the atmosphere and presenting as, as things are so bad. But actually, there's a very big silent majority who is very moderate and balanced. I don't think that even this silent majority is not necessarily moderate or not necessarily balanced. They just don't do anything about it. Okay. And again, as long as the conflict continues and people are more desperate, their opinions, they, they more justify their opinion and they move away from the other. So you can be a very peaceful person living your life in your boring suburb of Tel Aviv, but... When you think about Arabs, you think about terrorism. And that doesn't make you a balanced, moderate, mm. silent majority. Mm. If you don't realize that you cannot make this connection between Arabs and, and terrorism. Um, and the same for Palestinians. When you see a, a Jew with a keeper and you immediately think settler, Zionist, wants to kill me, want soldier... Uh, 
doesn't, doesn't care about me, then it doesn't make you silent, moderate, balanced majority. So I think most of us are, are somewhere there. And I think what we're trying to do is to remove this stereotype and, and so look at the person, but not just look at the person as a human being, but look at the person with his identity, whatever it includes, and examine him and in what way he promotes what's good for you and in what way he goes against it. So if you see a person, but you actually see, well, maybe he is a religious person or a right-wing person, but he actually wants to do something good and you can live with that and accept him as is, that would be another step. So you don't have to accept, now I'll say an example from the Jewish side, you don't have to accept a Palestinian Christian just because he supports the existence of the state of Israel and accepts the occupation and is fine with the soldiers, but you have to accept him as a Palestinian who fights for his rights, who wants to have a Palestinian state, even if he doesn't plan to move to live in that Palestinian state. And you have to accept the fact that he fights for his freedom and for his right, and he is very angry at the army or the police, although it's our army and it's our children who go to the army, and find a way to work with him together for a better future for both of us. So not just to like the people that are very nice and friendly and love you as you are, but accept them with their criticism and with their uh, agenda and well, find a way to work together. one step ahead. So and that's very I think this is the challenge. Yeah, yeah, but this is the challenge. I cannot turn all the Palestinians to be supportive of what we do here. And I do not, not expect all the Jews not. to love every Palestinians. But I have to ask this question here. What about you? Because, I mean, you are so involved in this work. For You have been involved for many, many years. Do you sometimes get doubts? Or how do you balance out your negative feelings and being torn between the groups and sometimes thinking, oh, I've heard that for so many years, I can't, I don't want to, you know, how do you do that? Every second day, <laughs> every second day, I think what really helps me is, first of all, the staff here in the Rossing Center, because we all struggle with the same thing. I do the Jewish Christian dialogue, and this is a bit different. I also deal with theological issues and the challenges around that. And so it's not just a conflict, it's also challenging. But we have a lot of projects related to Israeli-Palestinian relation, Israeli-Palestinian with Israeli citizenship who live in Israel and Israeli Jews. And it's very frustrating. And we come here and we talk about it and it really helps. And then I know that if I will not do that, then I will not be able to look at my son's eyes and say, we have to stay here because there's a future here. I know that I do that for the future of this place. I mean, otherwise I would go somewhere else. I would go to a place where life is more easy and relaxed and the problem would not be my problem, but someone else's problem. I'm here and I want to change it and I do hope that there will be a change. And yes, it's frustrating sometimes, but you have to move on. You have to get your strength and get you know, some encouragement from people around you and then move on. And you have seen the successes as well. It's and I do see, a, I do see the success. I do see, I meet sometimes students years later and I hear what they do and, and how they talk about things and think about things. We become more and more as a center for information. We, we have the possibility to do more advocacy. We get, you know, journalists and scholars and 
people who are interested coming to us as a source of information. I meet my students who send me messages years later and tell me, well, we did a program or we prepared a lesson for our pupils about a topic and we thought about you or we thought about what we learned with you. We get more and more requests from places that I wouldn't expect, for example, from schools. So we work with, in student level, in the, we train teachers or we work with teachers, we train teachers to talk about these topics, but now they invite us to come to the schools to talk with the pupils, which is not obvious. So, so there's more awareness and I, and I can definitely see the fruits of our work, but it's a long process. I mean, even what we do here, when the organization only exists for you know, 17 years, 18 years, it's a very long process. And obviously we don't do that alone. There are many other organizations who do similar things and we all have to work together. Each one has its own emphasizes and agendas, but toward the same thing together. And, and it's, a, it's a long process because it's not just solving the conflict. It's building peace. It's building the infrastructure, building the basis yeah, on the which basics. the peace would yeah. be built. Yeah. And it's not just a conflict that started 70-something years yeah. ago, not even 100 years ago. It's a mentality that we brought with us after 2,000 years of being in the diaspora and being mm. uh, you know, small communities, struggling to survive, sometimes in the... Um, unfriendly environment and in this attitude that you always have to protect yourself and suddenly to be responsible to other minorities and to be responsible for a state and to run a state and to run democracy it's something that you, it takes you many years to learn how to do that so we're in a process a long process so I'm not frustrated in the sense that okay it's it's a lost case Actually, and there's no hope it would be really strange if you would say well our our success is there. I mean, you have the whole history on your backs right, <laughs> that right, you have right. to address and so on and so on. Besides the, the complexity of the society right. here. One more thing that I think is also relevant to Jewish-Christian relations, and it's in that way it's very different from Muslim-Jewish relations, that between Judaism and Christianity we also have a theological dispute and we have mm. theological and religious challenges. And... Um, even if you put aside the conflict, and that's another thing we have to deal with. For example, the way we look at the scripture, the way we read the scripture, the way Judaism along the years looked at Christianity as a religion, as a faith. So the cross is not just a symbol of the history of Jewish-Christian relations, but it's also symbolized how Christians interpreted the Bible in a different way. And Jews for many years had a problem with issues like trinity and status so when you come to a dialogue with a palestinian christian you don't just come to dialogue with palestinian you come to dialogue with a christian who has icons in his church who quotes the bible but use it in a different way than jews so the theological aspect is also there so i could teach jewish religious israeli student who are very curious about christianity and ready to hear about palestinian christians but when it comes to visit their church, they would say, well, but we don't enter churches. Hmm. And for Christians from That's Europe, strong. maybe that would be understandable. But for a Palestinian Christian, he would consider it disrespectful. And it's, it's very insulting for a Christian. Hmm. Even so in Europe. For a Christian, it would not be a problem to visit no. a synagogue. And for a Jew, it would not be a problem to visit a mosque. 
but some Jews would avoid entering churches for That's religious reasons. Let's stick to the Christian-Jewish yeah. relationship. Do the religious leaders help in any way? I mean, is there a theological dialogue right now going on? It's very difficult. The official dialogue between religious Jewish leaders and Christians is mainly focusing on let's find the common values let's work together for a better world and in some cases unfortunately also let's fight together against the common challenges or enemies and sometimes the enemies is secularism mm. and other religions muslims yeah. muslims yeah so i'm a bit worried about this collaboration when we get together in order to fight another third enemy But there's no real discussion within Jews how Jewish religious leaders can change their halachic attitude toward mm. Christianity. And, And halachic? Halacha is the Jewish law. Mm. It's halacha, it's from the verb to walk, ah. to walk with the law. And, and these theological challenges also be reflected in many other ways. I mean, it's hard for Jews just to accept the fact that Christians using the same scripture and understand them in different ways. Like, How could you take our Bible and interpret it in a different way? You don't have to be a religious Jew to hear this kind of statements. So it's, it's challenging. And that's another thing to deal with. So also for the Palestinian Christian, to meet an Israeli Jew is not just to meet a Jew, it's to meet an Israeli. For example, when a Palestinian Christian reads the Bible, it's a challenging experience for him because... The Bible talks about the people of Israel. The Bible talks about Jesus and the disciples being Jews. Now, for a European to read that, or American, or Filipino, it's fine. So Jesus was a Jew. That makes sense. But for a Palestinian Christian to say that, it's, it's painful. It's difficult. Yeah. Because uh -huh. Jews are the soldier in the checkpoint. Yeah, they are the so oppressors. it's hard. Uh -huh. They're the oppressors. It's hard just to see that and to read about the land of Israel and to read about... The chosen people, it's their Bible and it's still hard. So it brings to the dialogue new challenges that you don't have in other places. And that's even yeah, before the just the conflict. Of course. You mentioned now one thing that I would like to have one question about. Because then, then I would like to go, come back to you. Okay. The chosen ones. Yeah. How is it possible if the Jews think of themselves as the chosen people because they left Egypt, uh, went through the desert, to the Holy Land, and it was all because God's signs. How is it possible to have a democracy and social equality when you have people who are chosen? Um, that maybe comes to the discussion lately. When the state was established, it was established by people who did not speak in such a religious language. They spoke in a more modern national language. I think now in the context of the conflict and modern times, sometimes people use the word chosen, but it's definitely not relevant to the way most of Israelis see the state of Israel. They see the state of Israel as a shelter okay. for Jews, as a place where we can have our Jewish life expressed freely, in confidence, and uh, to make it a place that every Jew would be able to come and have his possibility to live as a Jew, as you couldn't do in other places or in the past. So nothing to do with chosenness. If someone uses it, it's just forcing religious terminology on something that uh -huh. is not necessarily there. 
it was established as a democratic state for Jews with certain minorities. And I think the discussion is among Jews, to what extent we're Jewish and in what way is it more Jewish and to what extent we're insisting on the democracy. And of course, how do we treat the minority? And this is a big challenge. I think most of Israeli Jews would say we want to see a Jewish state that would be a shelter and where we could maintain the Jewish identity of the state as a state that Saturday is majority free day and the Jewish holidays are the official holidays and you have kosher food everywhere and you don't have to hide your Jewish identity. But at the same time, what does it mean to others who live here and to what extent we help them to maintain their identity and to make sure that they have equal rights exactly as all the others. And this is challenging because to mm. balance between the two, it's... And even in the minority, it's still 25%. It's, yeah, so it is a big... Is, now, I think that number. it's a big minority, and I think it's not measured as other countries who maybe look at other minorities. First of all, because it's a minority that was here before we came yeah. here. Yeah. So this is very important to remember. It's not like in Europe that you have Muslims who immigrated to Europe and tried to integrate into the European society. We came to the Middle East. We returned to the Middle East. doesn't matter how you want to talk about it, but we were not here. There was minority of Jews here, and now we're the majority. And the minority here, they were here the whole time. So that's yeah. one thing. And then since we're in conflict, it's not being measured the same way that majority-minority relations are being measured in other places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Again, even if it's difference. a big majority, it's still it's big minority. It's still treated as a small minority. I think because of the conflict, mm, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. But I still would like to ask you about yourself because you are an expert in this field, obviously, and you started studying also interreligious. No, we don't have really interreligious dialogue in Israel. Uh-huh. I did my studies in comparative religions. Oh, comparative. Uh, yeah, yeah, which comparative. is more academic. When I studied there, it was more focusing on early Christianity. Uh-huh. And actually, that was my first exposure to the whole topic. I grew up in a modern Orthodox family. I just wanted to ask, I mean, you were not born an interfaith mediator. <laughs> Did you have a very religious family or or your upbringing? What, what were so the initial moments for you? So I grew up in a modern Orthodox family. That means that we're practicing, but very open and liberal, not very strict. Jewish family, yes. Uh, so I didn't know anything about other religions. Uh, my mother immigrated to, from Europe when she was 10 years old. So she had bad memories from the neighbors, from the country where she came from, from Holocaust survivors. So... Also, very heavy baggage. So very, very little knowledge. And and growing up here, going to an Israeli Hebrew-speaking school, I knew nothing about other religions. I did a lot of Jewish studies, but nothing about other religions. When I got to university and I started to study history, I had to take a course of introduction to Christianity, which was very academic. But that was the first time I actually opened the New Testament and exposed to Christianity. And it was fascinating because I realized that for me as an Israeli Jew, We were much exposed to Christianity without even noticing that, because the Western culture, European culture, art, music, books, and yeah. literature, everything, it's television, it's culture. very Christian. Yeah. So actually, it was kind of like learning another language that you start to be able to read the signs in the street and you understand them. So it's kind of understanding another level of things that you see around you. And that was an eye-opening experience. And then... 
I, I, it actually happened to understand more Judaism because many things in Judaism develop in dialogue or in conflict with Christianity. So, you know, just for example, we just celebrated Pesach and just understanding why we say the certain things that we do say during the Passover meal, it's very much connected to what Christian was doing at the same time with Easter. So for me, it was really an eye-opening experience. I graduated, I did my master in competitive religions, but it felt like it's stuck somewhere in the fourth, fifth century there. And I want to stay in university. And I started to be involved. I found the first initiative of Christian and Jews who got together in university and talked about their culture. And I was fascinated. Yeah, and then I realized that for me, as I said, it's not just helping to understand the secular world around me or the non-Israeli world around me, but it actually helped me to reconnect to my own tradition. Because when I had to meet with Christians and explain them about my own religion, I had to think about what I'm doing. You know, when you walk the Jewish law, when you do the halakha, you don't think about things. You just do that. It's so obvious. But when you have to explain it to someone that comes with different religious mentality, you have to think about it. You have to put it in words, things that are so obvious to you. Mm. And so for me, it was a really great experience to reconnect to my own tradition and understand why I decide to do the things that I grew up on. Um, Did you have any role models when you were young? No, not really. Uh, not really. Mm. Um, I think just, you know, being exposed to the world uh, and meeting people and meeting... Mm. I did meet a lot of really interesting people along the way who showed me different things that helped me to open my eyes and, and be aware. And I think it took another few more years to realize that that's what I want to develop. That's the kind of what I want everyone to be exposed to that and to change their attitude, to change the way they look at the world. To also have the opportunities that you were seeking. Right, find, right. You know, um, open their minds. Right, and, and to... And just to allow themselves to see, to observe. And then it became from just an interest to a goal and motivation yeah. uh, yeah. to do that with others. And so that's an occupation and not a job. It's absolutely <laughs> not just a job, not at all. I would say, you know, people ask, I always laugh, I don't really have hobbies because when I have time, I anyway do something that related to this field of. Christianity and Christian communities in the Holy Land and when I travel I bring my experience to other places and bring the experience that I have from traveling around the world back to what I do here and I have a little son who is seven years old and he grew up into that into this interfaith world and and you know when we have free time we go to the old city and we visit the different quarters yeah he, he grew up with this multi-religious environment and he knows that you know we have guests for Shabbat dinner, so for Friday dinner, so we have sometimes Christians and sometimes Muslims, and sometimes they speak Hebrew and sometimes they speak English, and sometimes, and that's part of his life. And if you start from a very young age, I think child can really understand that because he knows very yeah. clearly what is our faith and what is our tradition and what is our prayers and where do we belong to and who do we host and who do we go to see, who is the other. So for him, it's very clear who is his identity and who is the other, but still he's very open hmm. to the other. But he can be open because meeting the others does not question his own identity. And, and so, that's something that yeah. I think if you start from young age, you can develop that. And yeah. that's why some of our programs 
start also work with younger children who are nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. Again, I think it's, it's already late because they already have the prejudice, but mm. at least when you start young, there is more potential that someone comes maybe with a little bit of stereotypes. And it's possible. I mean, it doesn't, a lot of people are afraid that when they would know the other, it would threaten their identity. Yeah. I grew up into understanding it's not true. And I think it's possible to grow up the next generation. So, I don't know, maybe by the work that we do, maybe we help other parents to educate their children differently. So mm. they would not be threatened by mm. exposing them to the others. And it could be other people or other religion or the culture so yeah, I hope then, that's then uh, it's actually a global story nothing that happens here is unique yeah. to the holy land not the conflict and not the tensions they're just different tensions and conflict in other places i think there's more interest in the israeli-palestinian conflict because it's the holy land and because yeah. christians cannot think about the conflict here as the conflict in Africa in different countries or in mm. Asia in different countries. Because it's about Jerusalem it's and... Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, ex it's, it's about somewhere that you've heard about, a place that you've heard about all your life and connected to your roots, even if you're not a religious person. And I think it, it helps that more people care about the conflict because you can see conflicts in other countries that people don't care about them and people are dying and being slaughtered and no one cares. And so I'm, I'm kind of happy that people care about the conflict here and intervene and Again, we have to navigate it mm. so that it will be useful and would not harm it, but I think I appreciate this interest in what's happening here. Since I moved to Jerusalem 20-something years ago, <laughs> when I traveled around the world, there was not a single person that I said I'm from Jerusalem who have never heard a name. It's amazing. So it's, it's an opportunity. It's challenging. It's stressful to live here. It's stressful to be involved because when you are involved and you are aware and you're involved, you're aware of what's happening and you're aware of the daily challenges and you're aware of the despair and you're aware of the violence and it's hard. But I can see any other way to be here otherwise. Hmm. You mentioned your son. So my really last question <laughs> would be what do you wish for the future? What would you wish for your son? I wish he would be able to live in a safe, peaceful environment where he wouldn't have to worry about political security tensions, when he would feel confident enough to go everywhere, at least in Jerusalem, and feel comfortable with the people, when he would understand that his responsibility to promote this inclusive society, which is part of the agenda of the Rossing Center as well, to promote peaceful society, to help others, to make sure that he, he gives his life meaning and not just living his life by helping others and promoting values that would be important for him, he would give his life meaning. I named him Absalom, Absalom, which in Hebrew means the father of peace, although the biblical figure... Absalom himself was telling the people when he was again, disappointed by his father, so he told people, follow me because I will listen to you. I will care about you. Well, he failed at the end because David was stronger, but I wouldn't give up this idea that he would ask people to follow him because he would listen to them and then he would bring shalom, which means peace. 
very beautiful. And he knows that. And uh, when he, he knows that he, he has an obligation to bring peace mm. because that's his name. Many thanks to Hannah for this interview. I have to apologize for the poor sound quality due to technical issues in the production. I hope you enjoyed listening nevertheless. As I mentioned at the beginning, the first part of the interview with Hannah is also available. If you want to hear more, listen to the episode Understanding the Other, where she talks about the diverse identities in Israel and the reasons behind the tensions, especially between Christians and Jews in the Holy Land, then and now. But hear for yourself. Thank you for listening. I wish you a happy day.